Hi there. Welcome to Good Life Church. At the moment, we're doing the Good Life series. It's a six-week program exploring the heart and mission of Good Life. So I really hope you enjoy what we have to share over this time, and I hope you feel equipped to live the bigger story that Jesus invites us into. Today, we are continuing our series um, on the good life, and we're in part three today. And I just want to uh, thank everyone for the feedback from all our life groups. It's been some really encouraging feedback and discussions and lots of engagement, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, That's the whole point of what this is about. This is not about information. This needs to be about transformation. And if if information helps that process, then wonderful. But it's what we do with it, not just what's stuck in our heads. Because too many uh, religious people know it in their heads, but their lives uh, don't display what it is that they know. And Jesus had some pretty strong words to say about that to the religious leaders of his day when he said, hey, listen to what they say, but definitely do not follow what they do. Uh, and so that, that is the challenge of this whole series. How can we live the good life that God has invited us into? Um, if you are new, I know you've already been welcomed today, but if this is your first time, I hope you feel welcome this morning. Um, and I'll try not to trip over the carpet here. I'm just going to move this back so I don't do that because I don't want to give you guys too much joy. <laughs> today we're going to talk, last week we talked about, um, sorry, let me start again. In the first week we talked about mission. And the grand plan of us joining God in the renewal of all things, discovering our vocational mission. What, what are you called to do? What does it mean for you to see yourself as a missionary of God's love and grace and mercy, as a representative of His kingdom in the world, wherever you go? And what it means for us to participate in the restoration of shalom. And uh, last week we talked about connection, how we're created to reflect the Creator, who is triune, who is Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect oneness and unity and harmony. And we're to reflect that as we connect in the world. If you want to connect well, then you need to reflect the God in whom, in whom we are created in His image. And so that's so important that we do that. And today we're going to be talking about our contribution. What is it that God has invited us to do with our lives. Now, none of these things we're talking about earn us extra favour or blessing or salvation with God. They're an invitation to the good life. God has already rescued, restored, done everything that needs to be done by His work on the cross and His resurrection life to offer hope, to offer grace, to offer forgiveness for every person here. You're free. You might not know that yet. But you are. That's the reality. And sometimes we're playing catch up, right? I might have to say that again. (laughs) You are free. You are forgiven. That is the reality. Sometimes we're just playing catch up on that reality, right? This is exactly what happened in the United States when slaves were legally set free. But many didn't know yet. And some of them were so familiar with that that they continued to live in all that they knew until someone was able to come along and show them what freedom from slavery could look like. And it's the same with our lives. We're invited to be free, to live forgiven. And so what we're talking about today is not something that's going to earn you extra favour with God. You already have it. 
This is something you do and you participate in guilt-free, pressure-free, out of joy, out of a sense of, I want to play my part in contributing the verse that God wants me to contribute to the grand story of redemption and restoration that He's doing in the earth. In a moment, we're going to turn to the book of Acts chapter 6. And before we do, this is the the last few weeks we've been looking at different sections from the book of Acts, which is the story of the church that Luke records. And it's a story, it's an exciting story. It's a, it's a dynamic story of the early church. And sometimes the story of the early church gets glamorized. I've been to many conferences over the year where they're like, if only we could be an Acts church. I'm like, really? If only we could be like the New Testament letters talked about. Yeah, go read 1 Corinthians. Like there are a whole bunch of letters written because it was not glamorous. There is a whole bunch of correction brought because people were immature in their faith and in their understanding of what it meant to be God's people. So they needed encouragement and challenge. And the book of Acts just tells the story of that unfolding journey of these early followers of Jesus. One of my favourite theologians, Tom Wright, or academic name N.T. Wright, tells a story in one of his commentaries about a young father who came along to knock on their door, who was in a group in church with them, so excited, and he banged on the door and they came and he said, guess what? It's twins. And they were all like, yay. And they said, come in. And, and he sat down and he said, oh, I can't believe it. We're having twins. They didn't know they were going to have twins. And so he's sharing this exciting news. And during the course of the conversation as they're having tea, because it was in England, that's the thing you drink. Uh, he has this realisation that he's not set up for twins. He's like, oh my goodness, I just realised we only have a small cot for one. We only have a car seat for one. We, like everything was set up for one and they ended up with two. Now the dynamics were changing. Now they had to think differently. Now they had to be better organised. And he tells this story as a small analogy to say, this is a little bit like what happened with the early church. It started off so fresh and so exciting and there was such good news and everyone's, you know, there's favour with all the people and people are coming to faith and it's great. And then all of a sudden, the realisation that how are we going to organise ourselves as a new community of faith following the way of Christ. What's that look like? How does that happen? So we're going to have a look at this this morning. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so they were Jews of Greek-speaking um, language, among them were complaining against the Hebraic Jews. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. A couple of things to note. First of all, you have to understand back then, they didn't have social services set up by the government like what we do today. Community and support was reliant on the community itself, on family, on people gathering together and saying, if someone in our community has need... And in this case, there were widows whose partners have passed away and they 
don't have the financial resources to look after themselves. So the community and the family, this new community of faith is responsible for looking after them. But two things to note here. First of all, the disciples are increasing. So it's exciting, but how, do you, how many of you know that when things grow, sometimes there can be growing pains associated with that? My kids are telling me about that at the moment. As they get bigger, their bones are getting bigger. They get aches and pains and, and uh, you have that when you're young and then you have it again a little bit later down the track, right? We'll just call it growing pains, not something else. So you've got this growth and it's exciting, but nevertheless, there are challenges. The second thing is, it doesn't take long, if you noticed, before the word here, complained. Complaining kicks in. I don't know if you remember the story of Israel, but Israel has this dramatic rescue from slavery in Egypt. And such exciting days to be alive. They're like, wow, we're alive at this point in history. For 400 years, we've been in slavery. And now we are the generation that are going to walk away from slavery into the promised land that God has for us. Doesn't take very long before what happens? Complaining, mumbling. I don't like this leader. I don't like the way they do this. I don't like the way they say that. I don't like the way this is structured. I don't like the food. We definitely don't like the coffee. It was rough. And so when anything new begins, it often has the exciting honeymoon phase before it gets to the difficult phase where all of a sudden the reality of how we're going to live together day by day kicks in. And in this case, you had two different groups of people in the early church who were feeling one group in particular... This is the the Greek-speaking Jews. They were feeling like their widows were not being treated the same as the Hebrew widows. So there's tension. And now this has come to the leaders, the disciples, and they're trying to work out what to do. And so then the next verse says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Now, if you're saying the 12, hang on, wasn't there 11? Go back to Acts chapter 1. And one of the disciples, remember Judas, he betrays Jesus, he ends up having not a great next experience. Uh, I won't go into the details because of everyone who's in the room. And he's no longer around. And now we have 11. But all of a sudden, we're in the book of Acts and there's 12 again. So someone's been voted in. It's Matthias. You read about this in Acts chapter 1. So he's included in the 12. And then it goes and says that the 12 gathered all the disciples together. There's probably about at least 120 of them that were in this kind of crew And they said, hey, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, when I read this in this translation through my own eyes, which in theological terms is called eisegesis, when you read your own experience into the text, it's very easy to look at this text and go, huh, good on them. They don't want to serve. They don't want to help. They just love preaching. They just want to like do that, do that stuff and make somebody else work out the distribution of food in this care system for the widows. But this is not the intention whatsoever. What they're saying is, how are we going to continue the work of Jesus in making disciples if all of our time is spent trying to manage a food distribution program? 
So now they have to get themselves organized. They have to come up with a plan on how they're going to do the work of the gospel, which is to look after orphans and widows, to care for the vulnerable. They, can't, they cannot just ignore this. And so it goes on to the next verse and says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. In other words, they're responsible God is at work in their lives and we trust them. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the next verse says, this proposal, and this is one of the rarest moments in church history, so just pay attention to this. It says, this proposal pleased, what's it say here? Can we say it all together? Oh my, that's like my favourite verse in the Bible as a pastor. So at the next AGM, the, the proposal please, the whole group, oh, I just can't think of sweeter words. That's not normal. But in this case, this is what happened. They thought this is a good idea. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, you read about him in the next chapters, what happens to him. He's a bold expositor, a, a explainer of the gospel. And he ends up being one of the first martyr of the Christian faith. He loses his life for declaring that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. He's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, you read about him. He's an evangelist. Then we've got Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch. He gets his local town mentioned. The theory behind that is that that's probably where Luke was from. So Luke's trying to just go, hey, hometown boy, like Antioch, one of my crew, like you can trust him, he's a good boy. Um, we don't actually know, but that's one of the theories around that. Um, this guy was a convert to Judaism, okay? So he, he wasn't a Jew by birth. So he's converted to that. And now he's a follower of the way, the follower of Christ, and so they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. This is a way of saying they set them apart for the responsibility that God had for them. They were endorsed by the community of faith and they were given this responsibility and they took it seriously. And look at the result, verse 7. It says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. How many th people think it's a good idea when a priest comes to know Jesus? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think it's great. And thank you for those who have been praying for me too. So um, I, I, I love this verse, verse 7, because what we see here is this picture of this early church group saying, we've got responsibilities as a community to care for our community. If we're going to be a dynamic community of faith that looks like the gospel, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has told us to, to live, we better make sure that we look after and we do all the things that Jesus taught us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, that we love one another, that we care for one another, that we look after the vulnerable and the needy and that we live this out and that we're faithful to His commission to make disciples, to baptise people, to help them obey and invite them to obey all of the teachings of Jesus. And this result is that the Word of God spread. In other words, God's kingdom began to spread as the good news of Christ as Lord of all creation began to take, um, get into the hearts of people. 
Now, here's how I want to summarize what this passage looks like for us. In the beginning of this, we have a problem, we have a solution, and we have a result. The beginning is we have a problem, and that is there's a responsibility to care for the vulnerable, and it's not happening the way it should. As followers of Jesus, we cannot ignore the responsibilities to do the things that we need to do to be a loving, caring, dynamic community that is healthy and sustainable. The second thing is, we have this problem, we've got to come up with a solution. So the solution was, we're going to choose trusted people to share the responsibility. It's not going to be one, it's going to be a bunch. And as the church grew, the story is they needed to have more and more people who were responsible for making sure that key things happened. What's the result? The Word of God spread. In other words, God's purposes are prevailing. And this is an amazing thing. Now, I don't know about you or what your journey has been in contributing or being part of sharing the responsibility in your family or sharing a responsibility in your local church. I don't know if you've ever been to church or you've been part of a church throughout your life. But when I was a kid, I grew up in church. And my parents modeled to me. I mean, I, didn't, I never even questioned it. There was no other way to think about church other than we went two times on Sunday because we were genuinely awesome Christians. That's what we thought. And then at some point, my mum stopped going to the night service, probably because she was fulfilling the responsibility of looking after our kids. Sometimes she went, my dad would go, and he sang on the worship team, and one of us would get to go, and the, little, the littler ones, my two younger brothers, had to go to bed early. And so I felt like, hey, I'm the big kid, gets to go to night church. And we're extra special Christians for going twice on Sunday. But one of the things my parents modeled to me was they were always involved. My dad was what they called back in the day a deacon. Anyone ever heard the phrase a deacon? Right. Some of you have probably been that. Some of you probably are that now, but you didn't know you had that, that phrase or that title or that role. And this is a way of someone having a responsibility in looking after key responsibilities that needed to happen in the church. So he was part of making sure that the offering was counted and, and that was managed properly with a group of people and that, you know, set up and packed down and seats and basically all different things. And sometimes they were called to help during the week with different responsibilities. And my dad did that. My mom helped in the children's ministry. Um, they led a, 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 what we would call a life group. It was like a, a small group in a home. And they were always involved. Um, and so it was so normal for us to be involved. And when I became a young teenager, when I was 14 years of age, the church I was going to started this new ministry opportunity where teenagers could learn what it was like to become a deacon. So you know what they called us and you know what badge they gave us? They gave us a badge. How good's a badge when you're young and you just want a bit of an identity? They, they called us beacons. <laughs> I was a beacon. And uh, we were meant to be a shining light. And, and we got given junior deacon responsibilities as beacons. And all I could think about was that character from the Muppets. Anyone remember? Beaker. I think the science guy. And yeah, we used to get a little bit paid out by that. And then some of the kind of like not so Jesus looking kids in youth group used to bag us out. But we used just to resist their, their jokes in the service of Jesus. 
And so anyway, there was four of us initially, and we were beacons, and we had, I wish I could find the badge, it's a blue badge. And so when we turned up, we had to turn up, our parents had to get us there, but my parents already turned up early anyway to help, so that was good. So we'd get there, and our job, these were our jobs, make sure that the seats, because we didn't have to set up the seats, but we did have to make sure that the seats were in the right position, they were lined up, and that they were all positioned in the right way. We had to go and check that the toilets uh, were clean, and that the bins were emptied, we had to go out into the car park and make sure that rubbish in the car park was picked up. That was my favourite part. Not. And um, there was something else we had to do. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, we had these responsibilities. And do you know what? I am so grateful that I learnt as a young teenager to contribute, to serve, to get involved and to be developed in, in that way. And we got encouraged, we got called up the front, they prayed over us, you know, and when you're a kid, you know, it's a little bit about, you know, like, hey, I'm special, I've got an identity and all of that, and I've mostly shaken that off in my life. Counselor says, a few more sessions and we should be free of that. <laughs> but but here's, here's the thing, right? We can get attached to badges and identities, but the greatest gift is when you move beyond that identity to, my identity is actually found and understanding that everything that I do is serving as an act of worship to God. And we were taught that, we were inspired by that, we were challenged by that all the time. You don't do this for the reward of people. You do this to honour God and to play your part so that we can be the kind of church where verse 7 happens. So the Word of God spread. And that's kind of what this is all about. And we were, we were taught, you know what, if you can be faithful with little then you can be trusted with more responsibility. Now, let me say a word about that. I've seen that used and abused in some unhealthy leadership and church cultures. But it doesn't take away from the truth that in a healthy and a sustainable environment of godliness, of care for people, that when we learn to be faithful with simple roles and responsibilities, then we demonstrate where it can be trusted with greater responsibility. Feels like these days, a lot of people are just going, I want the big responsibility, but they don't have the character. They haven't managed some of the identity dynamics to be trusted, to be faithful with that because you have to learn to be faithful with the little responsibility that you're given at first. So today I wanna to share a phrase with you that is gonna be key to what we're talking about today. And that is this phrase, the many over the few. The many over the few. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Israel and visited the Dead Sea. Is anyone in here, can I get a show of hands? Anyone who's been to the Dead Sea in Israel? We've got a picture of it, I think, here. Um, the Dead Sea is packed full of salt. Um, that's not me, by the way. Uh, but I think we do have a young adult that comes here, and that is him. Um, at least it looks like. Um, what, what's the... Guy, I've just forgot his name, Ywammer, and he looks like him. <laughs> anyway, it'll come to me in a minute. But uh, there's a guy who comes here, and I reckon that's him. I haven't confirmed it yet. But here's the thing. You can literally float in the Dead Sea. It's got so many minerals in it. And here's the basic summary of what happens with the Dead Sea. In basic principle, you can Google this, you can look it up. But because of its position and where it is, everything flows into the Dead Sea and it doesn't have an easy or a clear outlet for the minerals and resources to flow back out. 
And so it's got this name, the Dead Sea, because it's not life-giving. It's, it's everything's going in, nothing's going out. And it's an amazing picture, and you've probably heard this before, of one of the problems of consumerism. We take, we take, we take, we receive, we receive, we receive. But unless you're involved in contributing and you have a flow in which there's an outlet for you to contribute, you end up becoming something that just everything pours in and nothing flows out. And this is a recipe to becoming a dead person. And there are many people in churches and faith communities around the world who they're addicted to sermons, addicted to their favourite praise and worship, and they receive and they receive and they receive. They end up being like the Dead Sea. They never actually find their place in the community of faith where they say, hey, I'm going to play my role in contributing, in serving, in us being a community, which Paul in the New Testament calls the body of Christ. That's the metaphor that he uses. Christ is the head and we are the body. We are the physical representation and every part of the body has a role to play. We'll talk about that during our life groups during the week. Now, when we've been talking about the different environments we have at Good Life, and we'll put this up on the screen for a moment, we, we talk about four primary environments where we get to contribute and engage in God's mission. And, and that is, we have a mission to our neighbours, to show God's love to them, to demonstrate to them what God's kingdom of heaven looks like. Love your neighbour as yourself. And wherever you go in your going, as the opportunity makes sense, invite people as we said on our vision day, hey, come along with me. Make disciples. Invite people on the journey of life, the good life that Christ has for us. And at some point when you love and you serve and you engage your neighbours, whether at the gym or the sports club or at your workplace, or literally your, your neighbour in your street, at some point when you build a relationship, they may say, hey, I'd love to come over to your house because I've heard the food's really good. Or you may say to them, come over to my house. I don't know if the food's any good, but come into my house. And when they come in for the first time, they come through the foyer, they don't normally go straight to the kitchen and help themselves to the fridge. They come into the foyer and when they come in, they're a guest and you want everything to be lovely. You want them to feel at ease. You want to welcome them. And so we say, everyone who's part of Good Life, your contribution in our community is not just to love your neighbours and to engage in the mission and vocation that God has for you, but it's to understand that we are here in whatever foyer environment we have to welcome guests, to make sure that they feel loved and welcome and at ease and feel safe in this community. That's your role. The second role is to help people find community and friendship. We talked about this last week. And so you can play a contributing role by looking for people that people might want to connect with. You might not connect with every guest that comes here, but you may be able to introduce them to someone or to a group or to a team or some environment where they can get to know others and experience friendship and community, which is an amazing gift. And then we ultimately, we want to go not just wide in our faith, we want to go deep in our faith and we want to go deep by having fellowship around the table. And this is really where we become the team. We become a team that sees every one of these four environments as critical to how we love, serve, and help playing our role in making disciples. And that means we think about our neighbourhood, our foyer, our lounge, our kitchen, which is very often either a team environment where you serve in some capacity, or a life group environment where you're a contributing member of that community. 
And the idea is that in these different environments, you have something to bring. You have something to give. And I want to spend a couple of minutes just unpacking this for a moment. Because this is where it gets a little bit tricky and a little bit more complicated. And we end up with situations in churches, especially churches that are growing. The number of disciples was increasing. That's a good thing. The problem is, when it increases, we end up with challenges, right? So we have to come up with ways to deal with this. And so I want to talk about three aspects of contributing that can be really helpful. And the first thing is responsibility contributing. The second is passion-orientated contributing. And the third is gift-orientated contributing. I want to start with the responsibility. Sometimes when we talk about, hey, how do you want to contribute in the life of our community? We jump to what our gift is or we jump to what our passion is. Now, they're not always the same thing, just to be clear. I've met some people who have a passion for singing. And you have too, obviously. And you know what? Their passion is best expressed for God's glory in their bathroom, in their car, where their windows are up. And when you drive by and you see that person, they're singing their heart out. Living on a prayer. And you just think, God bless that person. They're living out their passion. But gifting is you actually can sing really good. Okay? That's kind of different. And you could even have the gift but not have the passion. All right? This first part, this responsibility is really important because we have responsibilities. We have responsibilities as a community. We have responsibilities to care for those in need as the highest priority. We have responsibilities to care for those in our life group or those in our team to make sure that, they, that their welfare is of highest value and importance to us. But then we have responsibilities to children here. We have a responsibility to make sure that this is a safe community. We have a responsibility to make sure our teenagers are looked after and they're encouraged and cheered on. And so what that means is we need a team of safe hopefully passionate leaders that are going to be able to love and serve and look after our children. We have a responsibility to set up things because we have a vision here to, to have our centre and our place of worship used all week long as a multi-purpose place, as a hub of the community. And I showed someone around here on uh, Friday morning who's from another denomination who came here to look at this place. And the guy said to me, so hang on a second, let me get this straight you got this unbelievable centre here and you guys set up and pack down every week. Yes. And I could see the, his thoughts kicking over in his head. And I said, look, hey, I mean, we're not any different than anyone else. We'd love a place that was just permanently set up. But what's of higher priority is that we utilise our resources as best as possible. And the way we currently use this means that this gets used all the way throughout the week and we prioritise our service and our ministry to our community over a few extra hours setting up on a Sunday. That sounds wonderful, and it pleased the whole group. <laughs> the only problem is, what didn't please the whole group was when we said... The many over the few. We don't need a few to set up. We need many 
to serve in children's ministry and youth ministry, to set up, to pack down, so that the few who at the moment tend to be our musicians and our creative team don't burn out. And people like the wonderful Amos, who's sitting on the desk, who's not even actually one of our sound guys, but he is today because our sound guy's sick and our camera person was sick and he was in here and he runs a business and he comes in here seven o'clock in the morning and works his butt off setting up, doing the, making sure that everything sounds as great as it does here this morning. And that pleased the whole group, right? But that's unsustainable. And so it has to be the many over the few where we say we have a responsibility. And so the first point is not, what's my passion? What's my gift? What's the need? How can I play my part so that our church is strong and healthy and the Word of God continues to spread? Okay, that's the first part. So we're inviting people today, even outside after the service, to, to look at the table, to look on our website or on the app, to look at the highest needs and to say, it might not be my passion, it might not be my gift, but I want to play my part so that the few don't burn out, that we end up with a church where the many share a much lighter load so that we have the energy and the margin and the capacity to move into our passion and use our gifting so that the church is strong and healthy and, the, and a dynamic body of Christ. And that pleased the whole group, I hope. The next is passion. You have a passion. There's something that stirs in your heart that on week one for mission, we showed a video of um, that amazing man who used his gift and passion for science and agriculture. And now he's called the forest maker because he's using his passion to pursue and to develop the gift to be able to use his resources and his abilities and his drive to fulfill God's um, gift in the world. And you know what? When I was young, I had a passion for music. And so when I was a teenager, I started a band and it did not please the whole group. <laughs> and it did not please the neighbours. But I had a passion for music and I wasn't very good and we joked about it before the service. How, you know, lots of people that did this. I didn't have a drum kit. My parents couldn't afford one. They definitely didn't want one in the house. So me and my youngest brother, we set up pillows on our bed and we practised and we listened to Striper. If that means anything to you, I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, and I'd listen to this music and we'd play and I had a passion. I didn't yet have a gift. I had a passion. I had to learn, I had to work hard and we went to rehearsals and we practiced. And then over time, one day, the music pastor at our church said, would you like to play? I actually started off playing guitar. And then today, do you know what I got to do? One of the most fun things that's a passion. I got to hit these things over here and it was kind of fun. But it was joyous and it was like, that's a passion. But you know what? I do it sometimes. I, man, I wish I could do it all the time, every day. Like, and, and you'd probably appreciate it because I'd probably get better. But here's the thing. The priority is the responsibility. And I love it when the passion gets to be expressed. And we want to know what your passion is. Because sometimes someone comes, I've got a passion for this. I've got a passion for that. I'm like, oh my goodness, we've been praying for someone that might have a passion for this. Let's talk. And then we have to work out if you've got the right gift mix for that. Because if passion may help, then we have to work out, do you have the gift mix or do you need to partner up with someone? And that's when we get to the gift dynamic. Do you have a gift? Have you got experience? Are you, have you got experience in, in the marketplace or maybe experience looking after children? Or, you know, what are your experiences? What are your gifts that you've got? 
And I just think what an incredible thing when all of these things come together and you just get like responsibility, passion and gifting all working together. It's an incredible thing. I want to finish today by saying these last couple of things. And that is this. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. There is a couple of ways that you can be a contributing member of our community. A couple of, uh, I'll say general areas. But there is a million different expressions of that. That's an exaggeration, by the way. It's probably not a million. The first is in contributing of your resources so that we can fulfill the mission and the vision that God has. And we don't talk about this a lot, but first I want to thank everyone from the beginning of this church who saw the vision and the heartbeat, who financially sacrificed to contribute the many over the few so that we could reach the many. And every week, those who say, you know, I feel like God's called me to be part of this community and I'm going to contribute. I like to encourage people to think in these terms about giving. And I'm talking specifically about financial giving. If you do not have any capacity or you do not earn anything, then there are so many different ways for you to be able to contribute. But I believe giving and New Testament giving looks like this. It's spirit-led. We say, Holy Spirit of God, what is it that you want me to contribute now, the Old Testament principle was there were three tithes. It would end up being roughly, you know, 20-something percent. It wasn't straight 30%, but three different ways people gave. In the New Testament, um, there was a, a lingering, especially through Jewish community, habit and principle of giving 10% as a tithe to the temple or to the community. But there's not a whole lot spoken about it in the New Testament, but what is spoken about is being led by the Spirit of God and an intention to plan, to say, I'm going to have a budget, I'm going to plan, I'm going to think carefully about this. And I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to give? If you're married, do that in partnership with your spouse. If your partner is not a Christian, chat to them about it and find out what they're comfortable with because that will honour God as you love and you're faithful to them and are a great witness to them. Don't make someone else have to contribute to something that they don't have faith for. And I've talked to a number of people about that. Make sure it's a conversation. Remember that you are blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing. And to trust that as you give and as you contribute and as you play your role contributing, God will continue to provide and look after you. And sometimes we see this in extraordinary surprises of abundance. And sometimes there's a long faithfulness where we continue to see God's provision, but we don't often sometimes get those crazy provision stories that sometimes we hear about. But regardless, we see it as, a, as an incredible opportunity to contribute and give in that way, without guilt or without pressure. And finally, the invitation is not just to say, all right, cool, here's some bucks, which definitely helps. Without a doubt, all of what we do costs money. All of our ministry resources for children's ministry and youth and everything we do costs money. But I want to encourage you to say, have I joined a team? Am I contributing somewhere where there's a need or a responsibility? And to trust God that as you say, I'm going to be faithful to do a responsibility because if we all do a bit, then no one has to burn out, which happens in so many churches. But I'm going to play a small part to help so a few don't burn out carrying a massive load. And I'm going to trust that God is going to lead me as I'm faithful with a small thing towards my passion and my gift being expressed in the body of Christ, which is our dream. 
And so today after the service, there's an opportunity for you to head out, to look at the tables. We're doing a baptism in a few minutes time. But straight after that, to go up to the table to chat to some of the team leaders and say, hey, could I help? Now, some teams have a requirement. Being the children's ministry team, you've got to have a blue card. You've got to do a little bit of training and development. But we re- our children's ministry is really growing. We need more workers. We need more people to help in the cafe and uh, Christ during the week and through Lifehouse, delivering furniture. And there's so many different opportunities. Find somewhere where you can help. We pack down this place on a Sunday. It's a few that pack it down. It'd be amazing if there were many and it happened so much quicker. And our team that carry the load of that could just go, oh, that gives me more capacity about to do some of the other things that my passion and gifting too. The dream, this is the vision and passion. That the Word of God spread. The number of disciples of Jesus increases. And we have a healthy, sustainable, life-giving community of faith where people come in not to be used and burnt out, but to actually play their role in discovering, hey, there's something for me to contribute. I've got a verse to contribute here. And we watch what God does in seeing the mission of God can continue to grow and expand. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you want to join a small group or you want to find the small group resources, and more, it's all on our YouTube channel. Finally, I'd love it if you could follow us on social media or your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week. Peace.